can't take a vacation without, you know. And then I, like, freaked out because my boss was sending a bunch of work emails today. I was like, holy shit, was I supposed to be in the office? <laughs> <laughs> but no, and then, then I remembered someone asking me, like, well, again, the executive vice president asking me what I was doing for Labor Day weekend. And I'm like, all right, I think that means I have off. I mean, that's yet another clue that I have off. But if I go in tomorrow and they were like, uh, Where you the know, fuck were you? <laughs> or maybe, like, just mention something about, working or like, like working from home like oh did you, how was working from home yesterday like oh yes of course <laughs> like, i'll just play along and then yeah realize that i can go a full day without doing my job and no one notices <laughs> god damn it you literally have become george casanza <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> like we, we were joking about it whenever we were finishing up seinfeld but now yep. with this new job it's like holy shit <laughs> i finally went and did it yeah <laughs> Yeah, I do find, you know what, I find myself so often like having a conversation with my boss and like getting directives and then going, holy shit, what was I supposed to do? <laughs> like, I really do that. I'm like, damn it, what was I supposed to do with this? And then I go back and like just ask for clarification and I'm like, right, 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 right. That's okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I like take just slightly better notes than I did the first time around. Um, yeah. The, the, the nine to five office job is a weird, it's a weird world to be in. I got to tell you, it takes some getting used to. Uh, all right. Well, should we get going? Yeah. Yeah, might as well. All right. Welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Curb Your Enthusiasm for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about season five. Ep- I'm sorry, season three, episode five. We're not, we're not that. It's going quick, but it's not going Jeez. that quick. Season three, episode five, the terrorist attack. But before that, what's the deal with stuff from our last episode? The Nanny. First of all, I have to mention that this is listed on IMDb and in the book as The Nanny from Hell, titled The Nanny from Hell. But you and I can both corroborate that on HBO Max, it's titled The Nanny, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but on IMDb and in the book, it's called The Nanny from Hell. This episode's called The Nanny from Hell. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they couldn't get clearance from Richard Lewis for the full title. He wouldn't give him permission to use (laughs) from hell. (laughs) So what's the deal with Bartlett's quotations? That is what Richard Lewis is trying to get into for coining the term blank from hell. And I remember this because my dad always had a copy on the bookshelf. And Bartlett's familiar quotations, often often simply called Bartlett's, is an American reference work that is the longest lived and most widely distributed collection of quotations. The book was first issued in 1855 and is currently in its 18th edition, published in 2012. So we're like... 10 years, coming up on 11 years from the last edition. I think it's time to get a new one out. Think of how much crap has been said. There probably probably just needs to be one 2020 and on edition, like only quotes (laughs) after 2020 because it's been so fucking crazy. Um, Maybe 2015 and on, but it needs to be updated. The book arranges entries by author rather than subject, as many other quotation attributed remarks are included for quotes whose source in the author's writings has not been confirmed. This, uh, the book contains a thorough keyword index and details the source of each quotation. So it was started by this guy, John Bartlett, who ran the university bookstore in Cambridge, Massachusetts, frequently asked for information on quotations. So he just started writing this reference book. And the first edition had 258 pages of quotes by 169 authors, chiefly from the Bible, William Shakespeare, and great English poets. Fast forward hmm. to 1980, as the book continued to add more and more recent material, much to the chagrin of literary snobs, the 15th edition edited by Emily Morrison Beck was called the start of the work's downfall. One 
literary critic said, donning the intellectual bell-bottoms and platform shoes of its era, Bartlett's began spouting third-rate, third-world youth culture and feminist quotes, part of a <laughs> middle-aged obsession with staying trendy. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I know. I know. Th- that, gives me, that gives me vibes of, I don't know if you saw the screen cap of the CNN article of, like, when Middle Earth goes woke oh, God, uh, on... Yeah on cnn talking about uh the rings of power yeah and the tweet around it was just like huh i guess woke is just a new term for includes black people yes definitely oh god yeah uh Uh, pulitzer prize winner justin kaplan by the way did i say 1990 or 1980 because that was about the 1980 edition because i wrote okay when they when he said bell bottoms and platform shoes, of course, the seventies were kind of bleeding into <laughs> the eighties. Um, yeah, there's there a real big seventies uh, revival around like August of eighty nine. It was real yeah. weird. Only lasted for about four weeks. Yeah, just in time for this guy to put it into yeah. his Bartlett's criticism. <laughs> Pulitzer Prize winner Justin Kaplan took over th- for the fifteenth edition, in which he was lambasted for only including three Ronald Reagan quotes. Oh. And only. Is, yeah, I know. But it is because he hated Ronald Reagan, <laughs> which is hilarious. He admitted um, because there was like 35 FDR quotes and 28 JFK quotes and three Ronald Reagan quotes. And he was like, yeah. I, and he even admitted later. He was like, yeah, I kind of gave him a raw deal because I don't like I don't like Reagan. So um, Justin Kaplan doing it before it was cool. And Bartlett's was also criticized for including pop culture material that was considered neither familiar nor durable. Similar criticisms were leveled against his editing of the 17th edition in 2003, which included entries for the first time from J.K. Rowling, Jerry Seinfeld, Ooh. and Larry David, and six Ronald Reagan quotes. So he doubled, <laughs> he doubled the amount of quotes. <laughs> so... That's all about what Bartlett's actually is. Um, it just—it seems like they found a, a niche. A niche. What? A, that's right, right? A niche. Niche. Niche or a niche. niche? They found a niche and they filled it. They were like, people want to know who said certain stuff, so let's just make a book like that, and no, no one else is going to do that. Like, there's no other. I mean, there are other quotation books, but they've somehow just cornered the market on like being the best. You know, I guess being first. Uh, um, just uh, facilitated that. Uh, Bartlett's familiar quotations did, in fact, reject Richard Lewis's quote, the blank from hell. I found this in an Entertainment <laughs> Weekly article from 2003. One of the guys, uh, Justin Kaplan, the, the editor of the quotation book at this time, said Richard Lewis had his lawyer get in touch with me and they sent a couple of tapes. And he first began hearing, hearing from Richard Lewis's camp in the early 90s. He said, I spoke to people who had been at Yale before the time of his first taped broadcast who said the line was a common idiom. Richard Lewis disagrees. He traces popular usage of the line back to his early days on the David Letterman show. He said, when I saw other comedians going, oh, the blank from hell, it really bugged me, adding that he'd like to take another crack at Bartlett's, but my lawyer might hang up on me if I go through this again. So that's from 2003. So he really did try to get credit for the blank from hell. (laughs) <laughs> and I guess he went to Yale. I haven't done that much research on Richard Lewis, but the Yale Book of Quotations has accepted Lewis's coinage of the phrase. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it says, uh, self-description, comedian from hell, quoted in Chicago <laughs> Tribune, April 20th, 1986, earliest documented example of the expression from hell referring to a person. And they give Richard Lewis credit for it. <laughs> 1986 was the first time anyone said that. I find that hard to believe, but there you go. A little bit of... 
trivia here uh, as we're moving on. Larry buys 12 sponge cakes for Jeff, as we know. But when we see Susie fall off the balcony, some eagle-eyed viewer noticed, noticed that there are 15 cakes lying on the ground. Yes. Ooh. Yes, I know. I hope somebody got fired for that blunder. <laughs> yeah, we have one every episode. And spoiler alert, I hate to... I hate to ruin this for you because maybe yeah. Well, gosh, now I don't know what to do. Uh, never mind. I'll just I'll just blow it. I, I okay. would have loved to. Have, okay. I would have loved to have seen when you would notice, but because I've already blown it for myself. But this is the <laughs> I've already blown myself. This is oh the, god. Oh no. <laughs> this is the uh, last time Susie's pregnancy is mentioned. After this episode, oh. it seems like either the writers forgot or they didn't continue that storyline. Or maybe she did lose the baby falling off the balcony, even though the sponge oh. cake were there. Yeah. It's uh, it's never brought up again. So, Odd. Okay. Yeah, I know. Kind of weird. Yeah. I, I just I, I hesitate to wonder. I was like, I wonder if Ted ever would have noticed because I don't know <laughs> if I would have. I, don't, I wonder if we'd ever gotten to a point where either I... one of us would have gone, wait a minute. Honestly, it probably would have uh, it would have taken me a while, I think. We probably would have been like end of season 4, I'm thinking, and <laughs> I probably would have been like, "Wait a minute. Yeah. Isn't she pregnant?" Probably the uh, probably next episode probably with next, your daughter. Yeah, either that or like next time I see like Susie drinking anything yes. or or going on a roller coaster, <laughs> or going bungee jumping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, probably would have stuck out at that point. Like what? But and that's probably what the writers were banking on. They're like, no one's gonna remember. It, it would be a major plot point of any other TV show that a that <laughs> one of the stars' wives is pregnant, but not Curb. Just just swept under the carpet, as it were. So that is all of the homework from this episode. Let us consult the book, which I uh, mentioned once again. Calls this episode the Nanny from Hell. What were they thinking from the What They Were Thinking episode? Tim Kazarinsky, who played Hugh Mellon said, my favorite memory is in the screening room scene where the boy who played my son had to get in a fight with Larry. He didn't want to say anything mean, so I told Larry I would feed him the lines. I kept saying stuff I knew would get cut for the amusement of the crew, like, is that your nose or were you eating a bratwurst? Larry was really enjoying himself. (laughs) He totally got the kid into it. Why can't they all be like this? I guess he means kids. (laughs) I guess, yeah. (laughs) And that's it. We don't have any trivia or anything. We just get another Larry in action script and it's larry complimenting hugh's son just something from the the transcript as it were so uh yeah that's it from the book you may be seated all right uh do we have any news or anything i don't think so i don't think so all right well if you have never listened to us before we are not a research heavy show despite the last fuck i have no idea how long uh we're recording a bunch of things to kind of splice into like every other part of, of different episodes and our our bonus stuff that we all get cut out but uh if uh despite the last for the sake of the raw record for 34 minutes <laughs> uh we like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework uh i've never seen these episodes before tim has never seen these episodes before in the last 20 years uh if we miss anything if we egregiously skip over something please send us an email or send us a tweet it's at no hugging on twitter or no hugging no learning show at gmail.com both those links are down in the description or on the show description page on apple Podcasts and spotify if you like what you hear please give us a five-star rating and a written review on apple podcasts and a five-star rating on spotify it really does help us out it really does help out the show so uh please 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 pretty pretty please with uh some sugar on top (laughs) if you like us a little bit more than that 
you can subscribe to our Patreon, where for just five bucks a month, it's really not a lot of money. Mm. Uh, you get clipped content from pretty much every episode. Uh, you get every episode. We try and get them out a week early. Sometimes it's six days early. Just depends on how much uh, we got going on on the weekend. And we get movie reviews out every single month. Tim, uh, by the time this is out, our foray into the exploration of the American sex comedy will have begun with Road Trip. Yay. Great episode. It was it was uh it was great. I I had legitimately never seen it before and I I I loved it, you know? It was it's well worth going back and checking it out if you haven't seen it in in well 20 years. Yeah, you know? that was like me. I probably hadn't seen it since I saw it in the theater and I am glad I <laughs> I'm glad I did. Uh, but um shout out to uh the people who do Sub to us on Patreon, Tamara Ortiz, the guys and gals over at the Idiotville Podcast, Josh Steen, Will Hall, Danica Ligorio. Uh, I'm not sure that that's the name of someone's wife. I remember. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. I remember getting a DM or an email and I tried searching for that email saying, hey, yeah, that's my wife. She has the Patreon account of the household. And I just didn't question it. Yeah. Um, it's my neighbor, I, John. Oh, it's your neighbor, John. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Tim's neighbor, John. Uh, Nick Kudla, Don Queso, Nate Collins, uh, John and Kathleen Murphy, separate accounts, <laughs> and Megan Stolarski. Thank you so much. If you want to join the list, patreon.com slash no hugging is where you can do that. All that being said, season three, episode five, The Terrorist Attack. Original air date, October 13th, 2002. And if you're looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see a rumored terrorist threat overshadows a benefit performance by Alanis Morissette. Whoa. Guest star city in this episode, for crying out loud. Yeah, Yeah. for real. (laughs) Yeah. So we open at Barsack Brasserie, which I was was like, well, look at that fake-ass sign, and look at that stupid name. No way this place is real. Uh, I didn't know this. I didn't know this was a restaurant. I thought it said brasserie. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. I think brasserie is like a, a French word. Like, I don't know what the, I, I, I should know because I took a lot of like, French. But yeah, if, if you're not looking carefully, the front of this building says ball sack brasserie. <laughs> ball sack brasier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what is that? That's why I was like, no one would. That's a worse restaurant name than Bobo. Homa, that's the worst name. That's the worst fake name I ever heard in my life. Um, Barsack Brasserie, come back! It, but it was one hundred percent real. It was. It was at forty two twelve Lancashire Boulevard, up in Tolu- um, North Hollywood, I think. Um, I was going to say Toluca Lake, but I have North Hollywood here. Maybe there were a couple locations. It opened in nineteen eighty nine, and it was sold in two thousand nine. So the owner James Saliba could partially pay some of the back taxes he owed after evading paying income tax between 2001 and 2005, not reporting around $2 million worth of profit. Oh, my God. I know. I know. (laughs) Uh, It turns out, uh, I always hate when I see what the taxes are on, say, like $2 million. So I think this was in addition to uh, fines and penalties, though, for not paying. But still, he owed $938,000. Uh, hmm. For tax evasion. Yeah, tax evasion on $2 million uh, between 01 and 05. So he sold the place, what is that, 20 years after he opened it. And he also was sentenced to two years in jail and three years probation on tax evasion charges. And after 
Barsack Brasserie. The, the owners supposedly reopened it, but I guess it, it also didn't last long because it was also Forenzi Osteria. You have to have like weird first word and foreign descriptor word, obviously, if you buy this place. It has to be like, um, can we call it a restaurant? No. It has to be some weird <laughs> foreign word for a special kind of restaurant. Oh, okay. How about Osteria? Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Make no sure one's have... gonna fucking know what this place is. I love it. <laughs> exactly, um, and that is closed too, though, because looking at Google Maps, it has been repainted all black, and it has a V uh, in front of the door. And I found out that that place is now called Verse, like a cool, trendy cocktail and libations place. Oh my so, god! So yeah, it, the restaurant apparently was very popular with employees at Universal Studios. I guess it's right next to Universal Studios, and there's a couple of other nearby production facilities that would uh, eat there, so it was really, um, you know, a fancy fancy restaurant. And Larry and Cheryl are there for dinner with some friends, and they run into guest star number one, Paul Reiser, uh, also <laughs> formerly of the NBC family, with uh, Larry David being on Seinfeld, and Paul Reiser being on Mad About You. And did he ask him about a show or something what's going i guess not i i was wondering what paul riser was doing at this time you know they, they have a little conversation larry tells him i'm you know investing in a restaurant and and then cheryl and larry walk to their table and cheryl's like you are so rude you didn't even acknowledge mindy riser paul's wife who was sitting there didn't even look in her direction didn't say hi or anything <laughs> and larry is you know very upset that you know, she's now upset with him. And I got to say, this is exactly the same thing that I'd be worried someone would notice about me. Like, oh yeah. my gosh, I didn't. <laughs> oh no, my. And then just think about it for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, I uh, oh. I got to say, I didn't notice it. Uh, I didn't notice this happening until like they definitely played into it once uh, Larry and Cheryl are sitting down and they cut over to Mindy looking over at them with kind of like a, a sour look. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God. I, I feel like, I don't know, if I was to get ostracized for something, it would be something stupid like this. Like, I, I just <laughs> I just get caught off guard, like, walking yeah. into a restaurant. Someone I know sees me and starts up a conversation, and I forget to, like, say hi to all the people in their group, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, the inadvertent snub. It was inadvertent, exactly. you know? Like, I, 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 didn't, uh, I didn't mean to snub you. I, I was caught off guard by the person who said hi to me yeah yeah was i'm not i'm not impolite i'm just um i don't know impulsive i guess more than anything and 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 socially awkward (laughs) we talked about how we don't talk to strangers (laughs) yeah yeah but one one difference is like if you talk to a friend and like their wife that you also kind of know you you would just snub or maybe you don't even know that well but like you know they're they're married (laughs) at least I loved Larry going, uh, the, oh, God, you, the, the night's ruined now. I mean, you, <laughs> I, I loved this line and you just can't leave your house. <laughs> yeah. The world yeah. is a minefield of, yeah, I, I loved that. I mean, I, I sort of identified with it. Like, uh, you can't leave your house. You cannot leave your house. It's just not safe. Cause you're going to make somebody mad. <laughs> um, they are meeting at this restaurant Stu and Susan, who are hosting an NRDC benefit at their house with Alanis Morissette for kind of Cheryl. We know she does a lot of work with the Natural Resources Defense Council, and they start talking about how much they love Alanis Morissette. And, of course, the conversation comes around to who is you ought to know actually about 
and they they're like, oh, the guitar player. No, it's about a, a guy who was on TV. Oh, I heard it was about her manager. And Larry had never heard of this phenomenon before, but he says he'll find out because people tell him secrets. They confide in him, and so he'll find out who it's about. We do get a little aside here that again it would kind of be as big a deal as a, a character being pregnant and then never being pregnant again. Larry says his parents moved out to LA. And so yeah. I hope, I sure hope we see them at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise I think that could have been left on the, could have been left on the cutting room floor. But actually, you know what? Now that I, now that I am remembering, um, I know at least his dad shows up. So, okay. um, yeah, I do know that. So we'll, we'll but see like, if his yeah, mom that, shows up. You can't just introduce <laughs> something like that. And never deliver on it. I know. That that would be weird. That would be a step too far, I think, for anybody. It's like, why didn't you just cut that line? It didn't have anything to do with anything. But why also introduce it in this episode and not do it in the next episode? Like, oh, my parents finally moved out here just in the first scene. Like, that's fine. But no, we had to introduce it in this scene. And then maybe it'll pay off next episode. Who knows? So Larry and Cheryl, they talked about this before dinner started. But Stu never picks up a check. He always does this thing where he goes to the bathroom when the check comes. And so Larry and Cheryl have picked up like the last three or four and they're like, we're not going to do it this time. And so sure (laughs) enough, after dinner, Stu does the bathroom check trick and Larry pays. He sits there staring at the check. And even though they agreed they wouldn't, he pays, ends up paying the check. I have to point out a couple things, how awesome and what a great example of the men's fashion of this time we've been talking about then Stu wearing a this aloha shirt did you notice his shirt i did yeah it's like the rich guy extra large hawaiian shirt and it even says like aloha giant on the back and has like an (laughs) island scene all stitched into it and it was probably like 150 dollars. and that's why you can wear it to ball sack brazier like a really nice (laughs) restaurant in north hollywood Um, and no one's gonna go why would you wear that ugly ass shirt it's because that's what fashionable rich guys wore like fashionable schlubby rich guys wore that at this time. And so, yeah, what a, what a great example of, uh, of that fashion. But also, tell me you recognize Stu. Yes, yes. <laughs> Bob Pinciotti himself. <laughs> yeah, of course, the great Don Stark from Santa with Muscles. Yes. Yeah, which is the crossover episode that we did with Lo and Moe uh, for their... That was their Christmas episode, right? But then I think we released it on our main. I but, think um, so. Yeah. yeah, and then and then we got uh, someone saying, the audio quality on your latest episode isn't good. You ah, need geez. to do better. I'm like, this literally isn't our show. This is a guest <laughs> spot that we did. We have no control over how this sounds. You fucking turn. <laughs> also, I thought it was fine. I never listened to our episodes, and I couldn't wait to listen to that one again <laughs> because it was hilarious. And... Uh, and Santa with Muscles was such a, <laughs> such a crazy movie. But yeah, so if you're getting in the Christmas spirit, we're recording this in September. Uh, and if you're already getting in the Christmas spirit, I highly recommend Santa with Muscles. From e- Listen to it twice from both locations. Give us both a listen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I'm psyched to see. I was so psyched to see him. And I was like, what was he from? And I didn't even have to look it up. It hit me immediately. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the great Santa with Muscles. So back at home, we I got to point out this. We finally see that ocean view that we haven't seen since the oh Davids moved God. into this place. <laughs> and like we see that they have like a couch or something where the other family who lived there had a big dining room table or something. And they talked about watching the whales over breakfast every morning or something like that. And I was like, I guess we're never going to see that again. Well, it is there. It's the same house. It's everything. They've just never <laughs> shot it from this angle before or or since, I guess. 
they talk about the the check and how Larry wasn't going to pay it, and they talk about Mindy and how Larry can make it up to Mindy Riser for snubbing her. And when Wanda comes over, and she is out of short, out of sorts, she is she's you know very she's got very serious news she has to tell Larry and Cheryl. She has a friend whose brother works for the CIA, and there's going to be a terrorist attack in L.A. this weekend. That's all we don't know what kind of attack. It's like ninety percent. <laughs> sure that it's going to happen this weekend in LA and of course the world in 02 still on high alert from oh, September yeah. of, oh my God, of yeah. 2001 yeah so and and she even it's brings come, up it's coming a lot up of on the, the one year anniversary or no yeah, it's and, a little past the one year anniversary yeah yeah and she's even bringing up a lot of the stuff like anthrax or or uh, maybe she even said ricin that she's like well, they don't know what it's going to be but it's it's you know they're like 90% sure something's going to happen this weekend so she's going to Las Vegas and she wanted to tell Larry and Cheryl don't tell anybody else, she says, because they don't want to panic, you know, have a mass panic. But, you know, but Wanda is telling certain people and Wanda and Larry, like immediately, they're, they're both like panicky, like Wanda and Larry agree on something. She even says, like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Larry's right. You need to take this seriously, Cheryl. And Cheryl's like, well, you know, we have this benefit that, you know, Alanis Morissette's going to be out and, and we can't move that and we have to go through with this. And um so Wanda leaves and Larry is still freaked out. And this was maybe the best exchange in the series too far. Uh, so far, Larry talking to Cheryl about, he's like, well, you know, maybe you could stay and <laughs> I could go golfing in Jesus Pebble Christ. Beach. <laughs> I love, I mean, when, when Cheryl gets fed up with Larry and this was like peak, I love it when she like makes him, when she like, talks to him like an infant and makes him figure out what's fucked up about what he's saying like yeah she's like well then one of only one of us would die he was like well that's he was like that's what's wrong with that that's i mean honestly <laughs> if we both die that's a little selfish <laughs> like at least Jesus Christ. she's like what would you do if, if i died he's like i guess i'd try to go on living and maybe get back to some semblance of a normal i just love the way <laughs> and also like he talks to her like a toddler who's been caught doing something but but won't admit they're wrong like, yeah it's just yeah. Such a great like well i say written but i'm guessing this was all improv um i, I just loved the whole exchange it was so funny <laughs> just a great scene and so larry is pretty much resigned to staying in town for the the terrorist attack that is coming this weekend uh, when he's driving later, Larry sees and goes into Palmetto, which was a real cosmetic and fragrance store at 8321 West 3rd Street in The Grove, Beverly Grove. Ooh. I think that was like a really nice shopping area and probably still is in Beverly Hills. Uh, it might have moved at some point or had a second location at 1034 Montana Avenue, but you can definitely see the 8321 address as Larry rolls by in this episode. And now it is nothing. Now there's nothing. Uh, empty storefront in this particular strip mall. Uh, but it is Mindy's store, and Larry goes in to make it up to her, uh, make it, make the, make up to her like the snub earlier. And by to do that, he tells Mindy the secret about the terrorist attack, and it works. Like, she is, at first she's, like, like incredulous, but, you know, as she realizes Larry is serious, she's like, wow, I, I misjudge you. You are a wonderful person. Like, thank you so much. And Larry... Like, it was interesting earlier when he was upset that someone might think he's an asshole because he doesn't really normally get that way. But I guess it's because I'm trying to, like, attribute some sort of narcissistic or sociopathic tendencies that he would have. And it's just a, like, man, I, I, I can't live with someone 
thinking I'm a bad person, even if I am. And yeah. so he like told a secret that w- he wasn't supposed to tell to this person just so they would think he's a good person. Like, screw what it does to anybody else. <laughs> he's like, oh, thank goodness. I'm, I'm back to being a good person in the eyes of this, this person who... And if it, maybe it's because it's not one of his friends. Like, someone like Jeff, if they're like, oh, Larry David's an asshole. Of course, I know that. Or Cheryl, whatever. He's fine with that. But someone he will never have much contact with thinking it will just eat at him. And can't, that can't happen. <laughs> so he has to find a way uh, at any cost... Uh, to make sure they uh, hold him in high regard. She asked Larry what they're doing. He's like, we're going to stay in town for this benefit. And and again, he like throws Cheryl under the bus. Like Cheryl wanted to leave. But I said, I said, you know, we can't do that to the NRDC. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, we, so, we need to stay for the benefit. <laughs> um, and and to, th- to thank him, uh, she starts loading him up. Mindy starts loading Larry up with oh free samples God, and yeah. stuff from the store. <laughs> and then and Larry's I, like, what, uh, nothing for men? Uh, yeah. I love that. She's like, oh, give this to Cheryl. She'll love this. And he's like, oh. Uh. And his arms are full to the point he can't carry anything. He's like, nothing for men? <laughs> and so she hooks him up with a, a couple of things. I recognize the, I think it's called Jack Black, interestingly enough. Um, oh, that, my like, God. That blue and black and red kind of diamond on the front kind of stuff. It's it's still around today. I use it every morning for my face. It makes some good stuff. You put Jack Black on your face every morning? That's right. Rub it in. Oh, my God. Rub it in. Um so later at home, Paul call Paul Reiser calls Larry at home to thank him for the heads up. And Larry mentions, like, you can tell we're only hearing one side of the phone call, but Larry goes, yeah, it's like 90%, a reference to Wanda saying <laughs> it's like 90% sure this is going to happen this weekend. And um, so when he gets off the phone, Cheryl's like, oh, what was that? He's like, oh, just Paul, call, Paul Reiser calling me to thank him, you know, for, you know, making things, smoothing things over with his wife. And she's like, what's 90% about? He's like, uh, the chance I'll do it again. <laughs> the chance I would annoy her again. <laughs> Despite Larry asking again to leave town, uh, Cheryl is, is steadfast in, in staying for the NRDC benefit. At the NRDC benefit, at the Broadies house, that's uh, Stu and Susan's place. There are no cars there when Larry and Cheryl walk up. And in fact, the party is completely empty because of the terrorist attack that has made it back to Larry spreading the rumor, which is insane (laughs) to me that all of these people would hear it from one person and that person would tell them that Larry David told them and it would make it back to because Larry really only told one person. So all of these people heard it from Mindy. Yeah. And and also remembered that Mindy told them that Larry told her. I heard from Larry David, blah, blah, blah. He's got a friend of a friend. So it's it's just like, because you never hear the who started a rumor. You just hear the rumor. Like, oh my gosh, like six people. This is like sixth hand information. You know, I don't I don't try to trace the source back, but everyone did their due diligence. It was like, Larry, this is direct from Larry David. So, <laughs> um, and I, I like Larry's delivery of the line here when like, well, someone was telling everyone that there was going to be a terrorist attack in town this weekend. And Susan's like, oh, I wonder who that was. Or or, or Stu, I don't remember which one. And Larry goes, they're like staring at him. And he goes, me? <laughs> like a question. <laughs> like, of course it was you. Uh, and so the broadies are all pissed off. And they're like, oh, why don't you go have a bite with the risers? Uh, says you're such good friends with them. And Larry calls, it's at that point when they start the personal attacks on Larry, that he calls Stu out for never picking up a check and doing the bathroom trick. 
And they so they get a huge shouting match as the Broadies go upstairs and the Davids are left in the empty living room. And that's when a waiter comes out <laughs> with a bunch of hors d'oeuvres <laughs> that that Larry has no problem sampling. No, which I thought no, was funny. Not. Yeah, I, I love that. He, he even tries to ask who's the chef so that he can hire him for Bobo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, these are good. Who's the chef? He's like, you think I could ask? <laughs> like, go up and ask the broadies? No. He's like, I thought for the restaurant. Back at home, Cheryl has rescheduled the benefit. Now they're going to have it at their house, the David's house. And Larry's like, you know what? Invite the risers. Don't invite the broadies. We're not going to invite them out of spite. I like this part when Larry goes, he gargles. They're like brushing their teeth at the end of the night. And he mentions the show. He's like, you don't gargle much. You should uh, you should think about it. It's fun. <laughs> and, and Cheryl goes, you should think about all the money you cost the NRDC tonight. <laughs> and it's at this point I was very puzzled because Larry goes, N-E-S-T-L-E makes the best sorry or something like that. Like, what the hell was that? I have no idea. A- at all. All right. Absolutely. absolutely I'm going to have to write that down. Yeah. Um, also, like, yeah. L- Larry's like uh, uh, lambasting Stu because he can't say the word fuck and calls him yeah. juvenile. I didn't, yeah. I didn't even pick up on it, like, in their shouting match. Apparently, Stu is saying, like, frick and frickin' and, and, yeah. and, and like, go, like, uh, go Maybe to Maybe even heck. freak. Does he say freak? Uh, like, freakin'. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought that was funny, and and it made me think about Stu like maybe wanting to continue doing work in children's movies like Santa with Muscles, and like not wanting to <laughs> sully his reputation by by dropping an f bomb. Like, come on, we don't want the kids knowing that the elf from Santa with Muscles <laughs> is out there saying fuck. We don't want that making it out there. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty funny too about about freaking. Why can't why can't he say fuck? But I'm writing down the Nestle song for next week as homework because I'm like, what the hell was that? It must be like a jingle from a 1950s radio commercial or something. Probably. That Larry decided what? to break into a, an apology. Watch it be a uh, covert sponsorship. Yeah, yeah. Like something that I think is coming up. But um, <laughs> So in Larry's office, Chuck the janitor, who we've seen before when uh, he was upset with Larry about putting uh, Shaq out of commission on the Lakers, Chuck is upset that Larry didn't tell him about the terrorist attack, so it's made it back that Larry was telling people and not Chuck. He heard it, again, third, fourth, fifth hand, but knew that Larry was the source of it. And Larry's secretary, his assistant, is also upset. And she's like, oh, Wanda is here. She's in the bathroom. She wants to meet with you. And as Larry starts to run, Wanda comes out and starts chewing Larry out. Mr. Big Mouth about uh, telling everybody. But by the way, this was a million percent Wanda's stand-in with ADR dialogue, right? Uh, yeah, probably. Because we only see the we <laughs> only see, see the back. <laughs> yeah, we see the back of her head and some like arm movements, like rah rah rah. <laughs> uh, and I'm like that. They they didn't want to get Wanda Sykes for like three seconds in some other location, <laughs> and so they got a stand in, which is totally acceptable. It's just com- it's just blatantly obvious. Back at Palmetto, Larry is hoping to smooth things over with Cheryl by buying her the perfume that Wanda normally wears that Cheryl wants. And Mindy was really inconvenienced by the fact that they went into Palm Springs. They couldn't get a room at, a, at the nice Four Seasons, so they had to stay at a Super, May, a Super A motel with their dog and cats, and it was a huge inconvenience uh, trying to leave town like that. And Larry's like, well, sorry, I was trying to save your life. Um, <laughs> and Larry, before he can grab the bag of perfume, he sees Martin Short walk by, and he runs out to greet Martin Short and talks to him <laughs> for hours a, about... A long, yeah. a long time. We get two separate... Like jumping ahead in time fades. Yeah. 
time passage edits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's all just him trying to do the Jiminy Glick voice from, I guess, uh, the show that Martin Short had on Comedy Central at the time. So that felt like, oh, my buddy's got a new show. Uh. Let me like have him on my show, and we'll do a little <laughs> advertisement for his show. <laughs> Uh, but Jiminy Glick must have run for a while because I remember there's a Jiminy Glick movie that I still see pop up on like the really? shitty movie channels that I have. Yeah, it's like um, Hooray for La La Wood or something like that. And it's, oh uh, you know, God. it's just a feature length Jiminy Glick movie. But I never got there into was, Jiminy there Glick. There was only three seasons of Primetime Glick. Yeah. Uh, looks like 30 episodes totaled. Yeah, it looks like 10 episodes each season, 30 episodes totaled. So, yeah, by the time this had come out, they were just getting ready to start, I think. <laughs> or no. Was it already it, it done? Wasn't even, <laughs> it was already canceled? It, it's, it's not that it was already canceled, but, like, it was a total off-season. So, like, episode 10 of season 2 aired April 27th of 2002 with yeah. Ray Romano and Catherine O'Hara. Uh, what is that? April to October? is six months later yeah this episode airs season three of primetime glick picks back up in april of 2003 (laughs) so it was a ways off but you know they were planting seeds they were planting the seeds that i guess but are you really thinking like six months down the road because because then again october to april is another six months (laughs) i wonder if you know reruns are a thing comedy central loves their reruns so Maybe they were rerunning it hardcore, and Martin was like, if, if we watch these reruns, you know, if we get people watching these reruns, who knows? I might get a movie. I might get a movie out of this. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't a big Jiminy Glick fan. Were you? Did you watch the show at all? I mean, it was, no, I, it was uh, on I liked, when you were, yeah. I liked the commercials for it. I, I, I thought, uh, oh, he's a funny fat man with a funny voice, because I was nine. Yeah, yeah. It, um... <laughs> It seemed to like be laying the groundwork for what I think would do that better, that what Jiminy did better, and that's Between Two Ferns. Yes. It seemed yeah. like it's Between Two Ferns without the subtlety, you know, like without the quiet subtlety of Zach Galifianakis. Instead, the boisterous, loud, I'm the center of attentionness of Martin Short, which is hilarious, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but I think that sort of awkward comedy, I don't know, I, like I said, I've never, I never watched a ton of, of uh, primetime glick. But I, I think that's what he was going for. He would say like inappropriate things in this character to these actors, and they would have to react in a certain way. But what's funny about Between Two Ferns is like the realism of it, and like the the yeah. And sometimes it's very cutting, and it's just hilarious to see the people sit there and Ooh. you know kind of have to take I'm, it. Yeah, I'm looking right now at the box office numbers for Jimmy Glick in La La Wood. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to know? Yeah, I don't think it broke a million. It didn't. Hmm. Uh, Tim, the box office for Jiminy Glick in Lalawood was $36,039. No. Wow. <laughs> it must have been one of those things. My my theory is that it was like a <laughs> a Comedy Central movie that got played on Comedy Central that got like also a small release in, in a theater or two in L.A. Oh, just for no. something. Tim. What? Oh, it's no. available on Tubi. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> And there's Do we have to watch Curb this for it. Patreon? And there's someone from Curb in it. <laughs> yeah, Martin Short now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. All we right. might have to. We might have to. I wouldn't mind checking it out. I'm sure it's... I bet it's hilarious. I bet it's hilarious. 
<laughs> um, and so in the in the hours that Larry was trying to nail his impression of Jiminy Glick, which he's horrible at, Palmetto closes, and so Larry did not get the perfume, and he kind of did another type of snub to Mindy, Mindy Riser, because I, that's another type of snub, like finding someone better to talk to. Oh, hang on, someone better to talk to is like right outside. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> stop in the middle of this conversation. And just really hit the stop button on it and run out there and talk to this better person. At the David's home, they are now uh, hosting the benefit. Alanis Morissette is warming up and talking to Larry and Cheryl. And this was a funny aside that Cheryl is like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to play it cool talking to you. But I'm so excited that, you know, Alanis Morissette is right here with me. And, and Larry's like, oh, I'm excited, too. I've been urinating all day. Just <laughs> 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 so random. Um, and Stu... Here's about the snub. We see a clip of Stu, a little um, cut of Stu driving his car, hearing about the snub, and he gets pissed off, and he starts barreling towards the David's house. Larry, meanwhile, tries to uh, get from Alanis Morissette what you ought to know is about, and she does tell him. She does kind of get it off her chest uh, and tell him who Mm -hmm. you ought to know is about. And as Alanis Morissette leaves, she gets into an accident with Stu who was barreling up in his Cadillac and uh, and hits her car. And she's like, my neck hurts. And by the way, I have to write down, I could have waited to do this, but I'm going to write down, you ought to know, did we ever find out who it's about? Who have you heard that it's about? Because I'm pretty sure that we know at this point who that song is about. I, I, I have yeah. no idea. Oh, because I remember the fervor over it. I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know, just so interesting. Everybody had to know. This was like an early glimpse. Like Taylor Swift probably saw this and was like, Hey, that's a great thing to like base my identity around. <laughs> base, base my whole career around. Yeah, like Just they're talking mystery about mystery songs about yeah, people. Like she wrote one song, and I. What if every song was like that? Um, so I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's about Dave Coulier from Full House. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure oh, that, that we, I have heard yeah. that. Oh my god, because I. I that's something that I was just like buried down in my in yeah. my brain. I have heard that. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm pretty sure he told Stern it's about him, and that maybe even she told Howard Stern it's about him. I'm pretty sure everyone's fessed up at this point. Um, but at the benefit, later on that night, Alanis is struggling to sing because she's wearing a giant neck brace because of the accident <laughs> that she had with Stu. And now Mindy is snubbing Larry because of the Martin Short thing. As Alanis starts playing You Ought to Know, Larry gets up, and walks like in front of the performance over yeah. to Mindy just so he can tell her who you ought to know is about. And that's when Frolic starts playing. And Larry is once again in the good graces of Mindy Riser at the expense of one of the greatest kept secrets in music. And that's the end of the episode. All right. What do we got for homework this week that um, we will definitely do yes. next episode? I will remember to do it because I will edit the episode <laughs> when I normally do um yeah we want to know what the hell that nestle thing was that larry said uh he made into an apology that i'm sure cheryl did not accept because it was an old nestle jingle and you ought to know do we know who uh, do we ought to know actually who it's about we'll find out hopefully next week (laughs) that's it all right what do you like for cover art this week um not paul riser's giant face i already mentioned that oh, which okay by the way this also looked like a behind the scenes shot it looked like a continuity shot yeah. of like oh paul can we get a, a picture of you just sitting at the table we want to make sure you're wearing the same shirt 
and everything if we have to do reshoots. And, yeah, it looked like – because he's looking right at the camera. Paul Reiser never – is sitting looking at the camera in this entire episode. It's the yeah. weirdest thing. Very, Where are you getting these HBO? Very odd. Jeez. Uh, I, I mean, like the uh, the shot of Alanis Morissette like setting up in the David's house is yeah. is good. It, it shows off that she's in the episode. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I'm tr- trying to think of what else. Her her in the neck brace. I feel like gives away a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're always a fan of the last shot, but it it's not bad. Um, we have, gosh, I don't know. I would love to get Stu in there just because I love, I love Santa with muscles, (laughs) Um, but I don't know what, I mean, maybe them at the table or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess, uh, maybe them arguing in, in, at the Brody's house, maybe some scene there. I don't know. This one's kind of a tough one. Um, Oh, maybe Stu and uh, Alanis Morissette getting in their accident out front because Larry's out there at some point. That might be good. Ooh. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of little ones to choose from, and one may not be as as one may not be better than the other. So whatever you feel like, I'm I'm usually fine with. Okay, um, okay. I just th- those are some other scenes that sprang to mind. All right, let's take a look at this week's description. Oh, great. So we had a rumored terrorist threat overshadows a benefit performance by Alanis Morissette. It's not bad. I don't hate no, it. I I kind of like it. It doesn't give away a lot. Um, the fact that Alanis Morissette is like, you know, playing the benefit is dropped very early. It's not like a surprise. It's not an ending like, I don't know, revelation. Like, oh my God, Alanis Morissette showed up at minute 22 of a 24 minute episode. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would... I would do to it is try to add in the Mindy storyline. So um, we like, we don't have to, but something like Larry, Larry uses now I've already made it too long. <laughs> I'm only two words what? in. I was Larry... like, Larry uses information about a terrorist attack. Oh, Tim, Tim. I know. No. I know. I know. Larry, Larry inadvertently snubs a friend while a rumored terrorist threat overshadows a benefit performance by Alanis Morissette. I think you could take out inadvertent and still make it. You know, Larry snubs a friend while a rumored terrorist threat overshadows a benefit performance by Alanis Morissette. I, I don't think we need to add that in. I, I would hate to make it longer. So let's just have okay. a rumored terrorist attack. Just, I, yeah, I would just keep it as is. Yeah, a rumored right. terrorist attack. <sighs> no, I, I mean, it's it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay. I would love to include <laughs> the other storyline and how he uses that information. But oh, well, <laughs> I can't They'll do get it. it soon enough if they, if they watch the episode. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Tim, did you like this episode? You know what? I'm going to give it a star low because I had, okay. that, I had that good enough a time. I don't think it was a perfect episode. Yeah. But the – and I don't know if – the only thing that's better about the previous two episodes that I wouldn't even give a star low to is I got bigger laughs from this episode. Mm, you know, it, okay. it – it's a it's just about on the same level of episode quality, except I just got a couple more laughs. I got that great Larry and Cheryl interaction when he is trying to talk his way into going to play golf the weekend that Cheryl will die at the hands of Al Qaeda. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> and thinking that's okay, um, and 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 a couple of other things. Oh, and Don Stark. I mean, I yeah. give it a I yeah. give it a star for the great Don Stark. <laughs> <laughs> It's in his name, Star, for crying out yeah, loud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about oh you? Oh, my gosh. 
Uh, I, I I enjoyed it. Not enough to give it any star, though. Yeah. It, if it gets bumped, I'll be totally fine with that. But for now, I'm, I'm going to give it a star low. Because, you know, we're, I always get uh, on edge. I always get anxious halfway through the season when I only have one star yeah. episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting on that. That one great episode from season three, we're halfway through now. I've got one star low on my list. Well, you don't so, even have a full star? Nope. Oh, no. At least I, I, I think I, yeah, I gave a full star out at some point. Nope. I, uh, I have <laughs> one star low for Chet's shirt, episode one. That got a full star has, for me. <laughs> it has not picked up from there in my eyes. Uh, yeah. If I'm if I'm an executive at HBO watching the first five episodes <laughs> of season season three, I'm like, who? What are you guys doing this year? It is, uh, <laughs> it is contract renewal time. It is the end of season three, isn't yep. it? Yep. <laughs> I uh, I'm I'm. This is on the chopping block for me. Yeah. <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the end of season three, we got to pick it up. Well, yeah. So far, I have one full star and then one star low. So I need. Uh, you know, it, it's I wouldn't not, mind if I got much two more better. good ones. It's no. not much better in your it eyes, yeah. It isn't. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> <Yeah>. God. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, next week, we have got Season 3, Episode... Why did I write this? I wrote Season 3, Episode 3. No, we did that a while ago. Season 3, Episode 6, The Special Section. Original air date, October 20th, 2002. And if you're looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see Larry receives bad news, but it offers him an excuse to turn down some unappealing invitations. Oh, this sounds good. I, I like the sound of that. It sounds very Larry. I, I already like the tease. I don't remember what it could be, but um, all right. I'm looking forward to it. Is that it? Yeah, I think that is it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hallowell. Be good. Be good.